Welcome to John Park's workshop. It's me, John Park, here for Adafruit Industries, and we are in the shop today, ready to make some stuff, talk about some projects, uh, look at some make code things. What else have we got? Uh, I got product of the week. I got a little project uh, that a friend of mine made using the product of the week. A lot of cool, fun, interesting stuff for all you makers out there, and people like to watch uh, stuff getting made and explained. You're in the right spot. Uh, we'll be hanging out over on Discord if you're wondering where the chat is. That is that. That's, uh, that's Discord right there. Um, hello, Mr. Certainly, Matumble, Mark, Jim, C. Grover. Nice to see you all. And uh, I'll also keep an eye over on the YouTube chat. Uh, so if you want to stop by and say hi, do it. Uh, if you've got questions, ask them. If you have... Uh, Thoughts and comments, suggestions, things that you're uh, looking to talk about, let me know. Uh, one thing, actually, an impromptu thing, one thing I want to mention, an announcement uh, that I didn't, I didn't set up a graphic for this or anything, but I can, I can grab something real quick on the Internet. Uh, there is a very exciting Miami Maker Fair happening this uh, weekend. It starts tomorrow, so it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, 14th through the 16th. I'll be doing a talk on the 15th. Uh, let me pull up the site, in fact. Let me open up a browser here that you can see. Uh, and it is just uh, Maker Fair Miami is what I was searching. There it is, miami.makerfair.com. Uh, there's the info. It is uh, free. you got to go and register, and I believe it's all being handled through an uh, app. I think it's called Hoovy. I might have that wrong, but uh, there's a sort of application and platform for doing virtual conferences, and that's what's being used. Uh, you'll be able to use it for chatting and asking questions. Um, and in fact, if you want to, if you look through either the speakers or the agenda, uh, you can find, let's see, let me see if I can just put in my last name here. There we go. You can find a session. Uh, you can browse through stuff. That's the session I'll be doing. Uh, and that's going to be at... 3 o'clock Eastern time uh, on Saturday, August 15th. And the talk, it says there, uh, in the workshop with John Park. And I'm going to be doing a uh, kind of behind the scenes of this place and, and this show and uh, other stuff that I do in here. So if you've ever uh, wondered about how I've got the shop uh, organized, where things are, why they're that way, uh, I've got a camera I'm going to be moving around with and, and talking about stuff, different uh, tools and equipment and you know, parts and things. Uh, and I'll also talk a little bit about how uh, I actually run this show or how I do um, video shoots and, and uh, editing when I do pre-edited pre videos like the Adabox videos. So uh, that'll be uh, coming up this Saturday. There's a lot of really excellent speakers who are going to be doing talks. There's also some panel sessions that, are, uh, that look really exciting. Uh, I know that uh, Sophie Wong and uh, Jen Shack Attack Schachter uh, and Allie Weber and uh, Liz Clark and at least one other person who I'm, uh, Estefania, I think they're going to be doing like a, a session, uh, like a panel session that should be really good. Uh, I shouldn't just say things like that without looking at the names first because I was so bound to forget one or screw one up, but I think I got it. Uh, anyway, go check that out uh, and uh, take a look and see what stuff you want to you wanna go uh, um, 
hear about at the uh, virtual Miami Maker Fair. I went, it was just a year ago, uh, last year that I went to the real Miami Maker Fair, which was fantastic in, in person in Miami. Uh, but this one will be online. And if anyone can do this well, it is the, uh, the crew behind Miami Maker Fair. They're excellent. So I encourage you to go check it out. Uh, let's see, what else? Let me, let me uh, pop back in with the Discord. Uh, yes, there will be Sophie Wong and Blitz City DIY for sure. Uh, they're there. So, and, and I know that uh, Liz, Blitz City DIY, is doing a, a talk right before uh, the time slot I'm in, I believe. And it's going to be about uh, some of her projects, including or, or specifically the um, robot xylophone. So that should be really cool. Uh, all right. Let's see. Next up, let me mention our job board. Uh, if you are looking for work or if you're looking to hire someone, head on over to jobs.adafruit.com. Uh, you can see here, this is the job listing uh, section. It's free to post jobs. It is free to post your resume and info. So go there and check it out and uh, you might find some work. Uh, product of the week. My product of, this, of the week this week actually uh, have been bummed because these have been out of stock for a while, but they are back and it is the Trinket M0. Uh, one of my favorite little microcontrollers. And the Trinket uh, M0 costs about $9. It's uh, at SAMD21 uh, chip on there. Uh, it's got the uh, analog, one analog uh, in-out. Uh, it has a couple uh, digital in-out. You can do serial uh, with it. It has a little dot star LED built right on for RGB color indicator. Uh, and one of the really cool things about it is that it does USB uh, HID stuff. It can act like a USB MIDI device. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do with a tiny, tiny little uh, chip, little, little board. Um, and that actually leads me into my gear report for the week because my friend and yours, Todd Bott, Todd Kurt, Recently built a little module that's based on the Trinket M0, and I'm going to get go ahead and demonstrate it over here at the workbench. Uh, let me switch over to this bench cam, and uh, you can see right here uh, there's a module that's that's uh, new, new in my little cigar box rack here. This is a synthesizer, Eurorack synthesizer, and this is it, the Trinket trigger right here. I'm going to zoom in on that. And as you can see, it has a trinket, sorry, yeah, it has a trinket M0 built right uh, into the top. It actually sets into some female headers, so you can take that off, program it as usual. Um, and what this does is essentially gives it power from the Eurorack power supply through a voltage regulator. We have a couple of resistors to uh, protect uh, plugging two outputs into each other. And then there's these two outputs, the B and A. B is used for sending a gate pulse and A is used as a control voltage that can vary. And how do you trigger them, you may ask? Well, these are capacitive touch pads here. The B and A are using two pins in capacitive touch mode. So with this patched into other stuff, I can now tap B here, and you can see it's triggering. And I can tap A, that's triggering uh, two different pulses sending out. Let me turn on this uh, speaker here. I thought that was on. I thought we were gonna hear a big, uh, big sound there. Here we go, you ready? Oh, she's talking to me. She says, power on. <laughs> All right. You ready, lady? Here we go.
of that based on a lovely little trinket right there. Oh, she thinks she's turning off. Is she out of power? Okay, I'm glad she lasted that long. Uh, so that runs a circuit Python, pretty simple circuit Python uh, script. And uh, I don't even think it adds any libraries based on uh, beyond the typical circuit Python install. If you head over to uh, GitHub and look up Toddbot Trinket Trigger, uh, and I can put that uh, link there in the Discord if people are interested. Oh, Todd's already put it there. Okay, he put his Twitter status there. Uh, hi, Todd. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is the module, and uh, you can get the board file and schematic. It's all open source um, and readily available. And you can see that in the firmware section here is this trinket trigger.py. This is a uh, circuit Python script. And uh, there, there's actually a feature not being used, I think, in the, in the version I have on there uh, that also uses that um, button that was at the top of the module there. Sorry, I know the focus is terrible. Um, that's a, uh, a little momentary switch there that's not, not uh, coded to do anything right now, but that's, uh, that uses uh, another digital pin and a pull-up resistor so that we can, uh, in... in uh, the panel silk screen, it says record. So there's an idea of recording some of your button presses and then letting it to uh, loop through those. Uh, so that is my gear report with the very cool trinket trigger. Very, uh, Todd says, is it one of the simplest Eurorack modules? Perhaps it is. Uh, a very lovely module. And uh, like I said, if you head over to the Discord uh, chat, you can ask Todd any questions you have about that module there. Um, and of course, that's just one example of the great versatility of a tiny little microcontroller like the Trinket M0 running CircuitPython. It doesn't have to get all elaborate and Eurorack synthesizer-y on you. You can do uh, simpler things than that, but I thought that one was pretty exciting. Uh, and, oh yeah, by the way, the, the, I should mention, in the PCB, there's just a couple of traces and pads uh, of copper on the PCB under the solder mask that are used for that capacitive touch. So all of that touch stuff is, is capacitive touch, and it works really well. So nicely done, Todd, and uh, thank you for the module. I will uh, have a lot of fun playing with that. Uh, all right, let's see. What else have we got? I'm going to take a sip of water. I'm going to take some delicious topo. Mm-mm. I love that effervescent Topo Chico. We are not sponsored by Topo Chico, by the way. Uh, let's see. What's happening next? Uh, this is probably a, a good time for the Make Code Minute. Let's do it. All right, let me bring up the uh, Chrome browser here and uh, get set up. And I'm also going to pop in a little... Um, Let's throw a down shooter on there. How about this one for a moment? I'm gonna move that over here. Bear with me. There we go. So for the Make Code Minute today, I wanted to build a essentially a pitch pipe for tuning a ukulele. Now, this is not a tuner in that it's not gonna tell us when we have the right uh, notes, but it's instead gonna give us a reference pitch so that we can then tune the strings by ear. Uh, so here's my daughter's ukulele. 
And when you want to tune those strings, you want to know what those notes are. I think it's uh, G-E-C-A, G-C-E-A. Um, so what I've got is this little Circuit Playground Express, and I've added a speaker just to make it a little louder, a little amp and speaker. And when I press the uh, A button, it's going to cycle through those notes for us. So let me bring my mic closer so you can hear that. And then if we want to just play one of those notes while we're tuning, we can use the four capacitive touchpads here. Uh, you can see that I accidentally hit two at the same time and it tried to play them uh, at the same time, which caused the speaker to make a lower weird buzz sound. So you gotta be a little careful about that. Uh, so let's take a look at how uh, I built this in make code. Uh, you can see here I have a, an array that I build on start that is the array of my four pitches. There's my little note to myself, uh, G, C, E, A. So these are those pitches in hertz. Uh, and then I have a variable that I created called note, and that's essentially which string we're on, which note we're playing. Uh, and then I set a pixel color to pink uh, on the first pixel of the ring. And here you can see every time we press the A button, I first blank the pixels, turn them black, then I set the pixel at the current note to pink. I play a tone at whatever this pitch's string has in the place of the current note. So originally, initially that's zero. Uh, when we are done playing it, we then increment that variable note by one. So it essentially means we're moving to the next string for the next time we use this. Uh, and then we're also using this modulo, remainder of note divided by four, to loop through one, two, three, or zero, one, two, three, zero, one, two, three, zero, one, two, three. Uh, the Individual touch pads are done using this input touch A4, A5, A6, and A7. And they do the same thing, but it's a little simpler because they just explicitly say play pitch 0, 1, 2, or 3. And you can do it inside of the uh, simulator here, and you can even test out those touch pads. You won't hear that right now. Uh, but if I use my real uh, Circuit Playground Express down here, you can use those to tune up your uke. And that is your Make Code Minute. Uh, you'll notice that there's a trend here. I often run out of ideas of what I'm going to build for the Make Code Minute, and then I go to my daughter and ask, and she always comes up with really good, simple ideas. I had some very overly complicated thing that was uh, a pain, and I was getting frustrated with it, and I asked her, and she's like, how about a ukulele pitch pipe? I said, okay, that's perfect. Uh, nice and easy to do. So uh, I, I appreciate her input on these things. Uh, let's see, how about uh, we take a look at a MakeCode arcade game pick of the week next. So I'm going to, again, bring up my Chrome browser here. And my game pick of the week is called Wall Jump Hero. And I got uh, this on the MakeCode forum, so forum.makecode.com in the arcade channel. And uh, this is by Dreadmask197. Uh, let's take a look. Here, here's the game. Uh, and again, the frame rate is slow on, on my playback, uh, the way I have this set up, but it's, it's a nice buttery smooth frame rate for me while I'm playing, and it will be for you too when you check it out. Uh, so here is the game, and it says this is a wall jumping game with falling damage. Uh, 
So I'm going to press the uh, space bar for A. And you can see I can now move with the D-pad and I can jump. And you'll see when you hit a wall, this hero uh, stabs his little short sword into the wall and it causes the, the fall to slow down. There's a regular fall and there's a wall jump fall. And now you can combine this into a really nice uh, gameplay mechanic for uh, traversing this vertical, really tall level, uh, which I really like. I thought this was a cool design. Uh, reminds me of that Micro Mages game uh, that we looked at a couple weeks ago. And uh, it's a really fun mechanic. All you do is move towards the wall, and it slows you down if you can hit it with your sword. Uh, so if we take a look at uh, the code here, it's actually not uh, not a lot of code. It's, it's done uh, very, very nicely in just a few blocks. So I encourage you to go take a look, check out how it works. Uh, the primary mechanic is inside of one of these two on-game update blocks. And uh, this one is essentially checking velocity, just seeing are you uh, up or down? So are you moving upward or downward? And are you moving towards the left or towards the right? And then it's doing a wall check. Uh, if, if it detects that the sprite is hitting a wall on the left or on the right, uh, then it will engage the proper uh, animation sprite and adjust the velocity so that you fall slower while the sword is pushed in into the wall. Uh, so really nicely done. That is my arcade game pick of the week. It's Wall Jump Finisher by Dreadmask197. Go check it out. Uh, I also think that could be really nice. Uh, that demo, like so many things in Make Code Arcade, it would be a great thing to look at and consider how to use it in a, in a different type of game. In a different game, you might... Uh, be able to leverage some of the ideas there, which is uh, one of the great things about all of the sharing of the code that goes on inside of Make Good Arcade. Uh, all right, let's see what's happening next. Um, you saw me look around to find out what time it is. Well, this is what's happening next is our project this week, which is a clock. And uh, it's a nice big one. Uh, so I would have mounted this up on the wall, uh, but I'm still picking it up and doing things with it, and, and we'll look at the code on it and so on. Uh, so I don't have it mounted yet, but eventually I think I'm going to mount this maybe just behind my workstation. Uh, I like having clocks. I've, I've got a lot of them. Uh, this is the second one now in my life that uh, is going to use internet time to stay accurate. I have the one that I built, uh, and I showed this off just, I think, last week. Um, and this is the uh, clock from C. Grover which is using the seven segment uh, displays. I've got a short power cord on it. Um, so this one uses a uh, Feather uh, M4 and a real-time clock module. Uh, and you can set it manually, but then the real-time clock module and its little battery keeps things accurate. Uh, this one goes and every hour checks the internet time. Uh, and so you can see I'm using um, a matrix display at 64 by 32. I have a uh, Metro M4 Airlift. That's the one that has the Wi-Fi coprocessor. Use a ESP32 as the Wi-Fi coprocessor. Um, and then I also have the RGB matrix backpack that makes it easy to send the data to the pixels for, for how to light them up. Uh, and it also, uh, um, you can see I've got a couple things plugged in here. This, this USB cable is not plugged in 
to anything at the moment. Uh, what I will do is this thing just doesn't draw a lot of current because I'm not lighting up many pixels at once, so I can drive it from a little USB battery pack. Um, I'm not sure for how long I haven't tested the current draw, but that just makes it easy for me to pick it up and move it around um, and, and talk about it and explain without uh, needing to have it re, um, re-sync the time. So uh, there I've got, uh, these sometimes come on, on these uh, modules. It's these little um, threaded standoffs that have magnets on them. Uh, you'll probably see, I can, I can set it here. Uh, can, can you see the back of, what can you see the back of? This, yeah, I can set it on my workbench. Are you seeing that? Yeah. So I've set that on my workbench there, which is steel. Um, click that on. They're pretty strong magnets, and this thing doesn't weigh a lot. Um, so that wouldn't quite work with the amount of uh, microcontroller I have there. Uh, flush. Wouldn't be able to stick that on your refrigerator, probably. Um, but I thought it was interesting to show. And um, I've got some of our LED plastic on here. Right now, I don't have anything fancy for holding it on. I'm just using some uh, gaffer's tape in the corners to keep that on there. Uh, one way I've been using this is with a um, wire stand. We have these little uh, wire stands, and that'll, that'll set the, the clock in there, including the RGB um, LED plastic, rather, LED plastic. So let's, um, what I'm going to do is I will plug this into uh, USB on the computer, and that way, when I change things, we can see them. I'll, I'll point a camera at it as well. Um, so let me pull that battery pack out of there. And uh, while I'm doing all this talking, it's probably a good idea for me to glance in at Discord and see if there's any questions. Um, let's see. No? Good? We're all good. Okay. Um, some discussion about insurance fraud going on. I'm going to avoid that one. Uh, okay, so now I've, I've unplugged it, so it's lost power. Um, and what I'll do is plug in... I think I'll just plug in USB uh, for data. Pull that off of there. And I'll do an overhead camera for you to see the display. Um... Let's see, if I can angle that there real quick. Let me switch to this. Okay, so you'll see uh, when it starts up, it just goes to a default uh, 12 o'clock. And now what it's doing um, is it's trying to get onto my Wi-Fi access point and find the internet time. So what I'll do is I'm gonna bring up another little window uh, let's do this atom window here. And uh, actually, you know what? I'll use Moo because I think that'll be a little easier to see. It's a little bigger. Okay, so I'm opening up a serial port on here. Um, I'll pull power. And now I'm plugging that back in. Uh, it should say it finds a new device. Yeah. And if we watch the um, output down here, provided it's the only thing I've got plugged in right now that's uh, got a serial port. Okay, so it says, could not connect to internet. Um, 
retrying in three seconds. So my access point is a little bit far away that I'm that I'm using for this. Um, so and and I I think because my um, base station has multiple meshes that sometimes is a, a little finicky for it to jump onto at first. So uh, what I'm going to do actually is just kind of hold it up in the air <laughs> to see if I can get it to get that signal a little better. Oh, yeah, it's really not connecting. All right. Let's, let's be an antenna together, shall we? I'm going to put my head on my hand. That works, right? Oh, still not. Come on, you can do it. I'm sorry, I should, I should set up an access point inside of the workshop here. This one's out in the other building. This is scintillating TV, I know. Uh, actually, also going to plug in the DC power onto it. Why not? I guess I shouldn't have messed with it. It was a good thing I had my battery pack in there. Um, and actually, we haven't tested yet what the accuracy is um, over many hours. We think that it's it stays pretty tight uh, over an hour, so that's how it's set up to um, check the time. All right, I'm going to restart this and see if that helps. Open that serial port. And while that's, um, okay, it looks like it's, no, that's the first thing. Okay, the first thing it's doing is it's checking my secrets file for my time zone uh, just to, to report which time zone. I was testing this by putting in New York as well because I wanted to make sure things were working. So that's just a reminder to me. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll load in uh, the code.py. Uh, there it says Metro minimal, minimal Clock. All right, crossing fingers. It's connecting to says it's trying to connect to my access point. Uh, and what I'll do here in a second, so you don't have to just continue to watch me hold this and hope, uh, is I'll start going over the code. So let me, let me set this down. We'll talk about the code. You can keep an eye on it there. If it does get our time, then, then you'll see that uh, change to my local time, which is about 1.30. Um, so what happens here? Uh, we're, we're importing some libraries, including time, uh, so that we can use the, the uh, time both for checking time as well as uh, counting seconds. Uh, we have the board being imported, so we have the pinouts, uh, the display I.O. and terminal I.O. Terminal I.O. actually was, I'm not using it except for when I'm in debug mode. Uh, and terminal I.O. is essentially a font that's built in so that we if we have problems with our um, bitmap font, we can go into debug mode and just use the terminal font. Um, the Adafruit display text is what we're using, uh, actually the label subset of that to create the text that you're seeing. Uh, I'm importing bitmap font so we can use a BDF font. And then I'm bringing in these two libraries, matrix or this one library, matrix portal, both the network and the matrix sections of it. And these are convenience libraries, uh, stuff that uh, similar to the Pi Portal uh, libraries that Melissa has been working on these a lot to make life easier 
uh, when you want to connect to a network, when you want to get the time, when, when, when you want to uh, display to the matrix as well. So you can see here I have a uh, function called blink, and I've set that to true, so, so we'll see blinking of the second hand when it's connected. Um, by the way, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to move this. I'm going to hook up my uh, battery pack again and move this a little bit over in the workshop where I get a better Wi-Fi signal. And then I'll use this as a reminder myself. I have to re, uh, reconfigure the, the router that is in here to, to give us some Wi-Fi because I'm just connected directly. All right, so I'm taking uh, power off of there. So now I'm just, uh, I'll put this back here maybe. So you can see that. All right, you can see that behind me there. Um, we'll check in on that every once in a while. Let's see, can I put that somewhere you'll see it for sure? Maybe not. Um, <laughs> you know what? Point this camera. Like so. It won't be in focus, but at least you can see it when I'm not blocking. There we go. Uh, we, here's the debug mode, and when I use that, uh, like I said, it goes to terminal font. It gives us some feedback about the text location. I was using that just to place things nicely. Um, then we go and check for our Wi-Fi details. So those are kept in a separate file that's on the board called secrets, and that way people aren't sharing that around a lot. It's the same method we used with PyPortal. Uh, and that will... Um, allow us to put in the SSID of the access point as well as your Wi-Fi password. Uh, I'm setting my location for time zone in there as well as my Adafruit IO name and key. And that's what we're using to grab the time. So there's a time server on Adafruit IO. Uh, next, we set up the display using typical display IO stuff. I've got some color presets that I've made. Uh, what this will do is during the 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I have it uh, in green-ish, and then uh, for the evening hours, it goes to red. And that's how we uh, designate uh, sort of the, the two halves of the day. Not necessarily a.m., p.m. I think I said that yesterday and realized that's not true at all. Uh, it's not a.m., p.m., but it's more when I want like daylight green or I want uh, nighttime red. Uh, then we'll set up the... Um, the typeface, so if I'm not in debug mode, my font is equal to a bitmap font that we load. And I'm using this one that I'm crazy about. It's IBM Plex. This is the uh, kind of official typeface of IBM that was created back in 2017 or 2018. And it has a really nice mono font uh, that can be used for uh, your terminal, if you're coding, for um, any anything you're using where you want your, your typeface to be monospaced. And the reason that's important here is that if it's not, whenever the time changes, uh, I'm going to restart this, whenever the time changes, you'll get a, um, a shifting of the spacing, um, even the colon, if that was a space versus a colon, if these aren't monospaced, you'll see things wiggling around a lot. Uh, so we want them to each occupy their own space. You could do more, uh, you could do individual labels per character to, to get around that if you wanted a non-monospaced type. Um, but I like the look of this one. I like the way it... um, okay, so then uh, you can see when I'm in debug mode, it will grab the uh, terminal I.O. instead. I can show you an example of that in a second when we uh, hook this back up. 
Uh, and then the clock label uh, is created. It has a maximum of six glyphs in it. You actually only need five, so we have the four digits and the colon. Um, but I think the space may count as one, so I think that's why I set it to six. Um, and so, and that I'm using a space when I'm not showing the colon when we're blinking. You could also probably do something with if you had separate labels, you could do color instead. But the way it's set up right now, the the individual uh, labels are going to have uh, the same color as each other. So all those characters have the same color in this in this usage. Uh, and then he, and we get to this. This is the uh, time updating. Uh, so this routine goes and it grabs local time. Uh, and then it splits up the answer into the hours and the, and the minutes so that we can um, display those properly. Um, and then we also have the blink routine in here. If, if we're in blink mode, then it will uh, show and not show the, the colon or the space uh, in alternating seconds. Um, and then we finally display that clock label. So that gets broken up into these variables that we grabbed, the hours, minutes, and colon uh, formatted like this. Uh, and then I have the positioning, so the bounding box can actually be calculated. Label has this routine called bounding box, and it finds the X, Y position of, I think, the lower left corner, as well as the height and the width. Um, and that's useful so that we can then uh, place it halfway down and halfway across. Uh, this is the Y, actually. So halfway down the display, so display height divided by 2, and then the... Um, the display width divided by two minus the width of the bounding box puts its center at the center, uh, which is really cool. When this, uh, oh, what's it doing now? Is it getting the time or did my battery run out? <laughs> this is a disaster. I swear this was working well. Yeah, that, that, that battery pack died. Whee! All right, let's, uh, I'll hook it back up over here and we'll cross our fingers that we actually get the, uh, the time. Uh, clearly that is one issue is when you're first booting up, you definitely need a, an internet connection for this to work. So. Uh, you could probably make a more sophisticated version that used a real-time clock uh, and a battery and uh, didn't have this problem, but, but we're keeping it simple. Um, so uh, just plug that back in. We'll see if it, if it ever uh, manages to find its, its way. Um, and then this is the uh, routine that's running all the time. So this is the main loop of the program. Uh, if the last check is none or, oh, look, it found the time. So it did connect. Uh, this message here is not correct because I didn't reopen my serial port, but um, good. It connected. We just didn't get to see it say it connected. Oh, well, I'm not going to attempt it and try it again just now. Um, and you can see there it's doing its little blinky, blinky, blinky. Um, the uh, routine checks to see if the last check is beyond an hour ago. So this is 3,600 seconds. Um, and so that's how you could, you could adjust this if you found that it wasn't accurate enough for you or you didn't need it to check as often, you could, you could tune that. Uh, so when it does uh, find that it's an hour has gone by since the last check, uh, based on counting the, the time monotonic versus the last check time, it's sort of like a timestamp then it will run this update time routine. Uh, it also shows the colon. We just didn't want it to go to blank while it was checking because um, that, can, that can take a moment. Uh, so it'll always display the colon there. You might see it hold sometimes while it's checking. The time is still accurate, but it, uh, the blank would look weird. Uh, and then we network uh, using the matrix network library get local time. 
this is uh, all sort of wrapped up inside of that um, matrix portal library. It knows how to go check your secrets uh, .py file to grab the Adafruit I.O. key, go up to the internet, ask Adafruit I.O. for the time, and then convert it to your local time. Uh, so for me, Los Angeles time. Uh, and that is it. That is how, how that works. Um, I'll now tempt fate by changing something in this and, and uh, hitting save, and we'll see if it, if it gets my internet uh, uh, connection or not. So we'll turn blink off. So I'll say blink is false. Uh, and I created this, uh, I should say, Melissa uh, created the code for this. I just tuned some things. Oh, yeah, see, it got on my, got on my network just fine that time. Um, I just tuned the graphics, um, but big thank you to our own Melissa for uh, creating the code here. And then uh, as I kind of envisioned what I wanted it to look like, I, I decided I didn't want always blinking because sometimes that's distracting to me. So I set that, I created that um, feature here. And then I went and found a very specific type. I, I mentioned IBM Plex. I found a very specific typeface that uh, had the, the look I was after. And then uh, I hand-tuned some stuff. And I want to show you a little bit about how, uh, how some of that stuff works. So um, let me, um, yeah, let's, let's pop over to, I'm going to show you in Photoshop something for a second. So let me put on some glasses so I can see, see some smaller typey thingies that I'm going to show you. Uh, how about here? Yeah, I just I need to launch something if you'll bear with me. I'll peek over at the Discord chat. Um, yeah, yay, nice job. Mr. Certainly says to make her Melissa. Absolutely amazing work. Thank you. Uh, all right, so I'm going to open up couple files here and then I'll share my Photoshop session window. Uh, how about, yeah, there we go. We'll do a screen capture, new screen capture. It's taking a moment, sorry, so that something's happening. Oh, there we go. Okay, so it's brought up a screen capture that's a black hole. Um, and I'm going to change that to be a window. And pick Photoshop. There we go. And I'm going to hide that Moo code. Uh, so let's drag this over a little bit there. Uh, hopefully this will play nice. So here in Photoshop, um, this is kind of the look I was going after. So this is a... 640 by 320 pixel document. So it's 10 times larger as far as pixel count than our display. Um, but I used this to just mock up how things would look. Um, and, I, and I noted the type size. This is 240 point type here. So when I created a one-to-one -one scale document, uh, you can see here, this is a 64 by 32, 64 pixel wide by 32 pixel high uh, document. You can even see Photoshop will put in little lines to, to let you know where individual pixels are. If I, if I go to a pencil tool, for example, this is like drawing pixel art. So you can, uh, whoops, let me make a new layer. Um, so you can see, whoops, I made a, a giant one. Uh, so you can see there's, there's individual pixels being drawn. Um, and 
by working out the size of the type here, um, especially with looking at how big it would be um, when I have four digits on there. This tells me the size uh, of typeface I'm going to convert the, the, or the size of font I'm going to convert the typeface to. Um, so what I did is went over to, and again, I'm going to, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to share, um, I might just share this screen because I, I think there's a chance that um, this will be multiple windows that will be hard to, to share otherwise. So let me create a, uh, a sc another screen capture. I'm going to show you FontForge, which is an open source font uh, application that allows you to take a, uh, you can create fonts in it, but it'll also allow you to, uh, yeah, that'll work. Okay, so um, let me get things centered up in here. So this is FontForge, and right now it doesn't have a font loaded, so you just see these empty uh, positions uh, for individual glyphs, as they're called. So what I'll do is I'm going to open up that font that I uh, had picked. So uh, let's go to project folder for uh, Metro. Whoops, that was not a. That doesn't work, huh? That's weird. <laughs> or did I rename it? I might have renamed it. Let me find the matrix. I think it's just called matrix clock. Yeah, there it is. No, not that one. Uh, good, I got there. Okay, so here's the font as downloaded. And this is a free uh, to download font from IBM. Uh, you can also get, I found it initially on Google Fonts Search. Uh, and I liked the one called uh, IBM Plex Mono Medium. So I'll open that one up. And there's the font. Uh, and now what you can do is either take the whole thing and convert it, or you can pick individual glyphs that you want if you're trying to fit, you know, in a very, very small space. So I could just grab zero through nine and the colon there, uh, or you can pick the whole thing. Um, and then you convert those strikes. So I'm going to take these and turn them into bitmap strikes, which is essentially stamp down the... Um, Bezier curve mathematical description version of this into individual pixels, uh, turn it into pixel art basically. And now I know I want that at 24 point type because that's what worked in my Photoshop grid. So I'll click OK. Uh, I'll then regenerate those glyphs just because. I have no idea why you do it that way in the software, but you do. Uh, and then I will go to File, Generate Fonts, and uh, it's going to make a uh, BDF font for me. It should. Actually, I don't know what name it's giving it there, but we'll see what happens. Uh, the, all these options are fine, so I'll hit generate. Um, yeah, let me cancel that. I don't know why it's trying to do a... Let's try it like that. Uh... Oh, that's fine. Okay. It's just saying you couldn't make it as big as you wanted. Um, so... Yeah, ignore whatever weird thing I'm doing here. This, this won't happen normally. We have nice instructions on one of our guides uh, for making these, and I'll include it in my guide for this. Um, once that's made, you end up with... Uh, let's open up a new folder, and I'm going to show you that font there. So... 
What that would generate, if I'd done that right, is this thing here, uh, IBM Plex Mono Medium 24. Uh, you can see I've renamed it here JEP, and that's because I've gone in and hand-tuned it. The BDF font is actually a text file. It's human-readable as well as computer-readable. Uh, and I know I've shown some of this before, but uh, I won't get into the hex um, individual pixel lines this time, but I will show uh, the thing I changed on the colon and the space so that they would kern in tighter, because normally their spacing, since it's a mono font, was a full, I think, 16 pixels wide like every other character, and I wanted those tighter. Um, so if you look in my, uh, how about we'll open the, this one up in Adam here. I'll make that a little bit bigger. You can see, uh, there's the font. I added my tuned for the matrix clock comment just so I knew this was different than the, than the real font. Um, and if I look in here, these are individual characters. So here's the space. Uh, like here's the number sign. So number sign starts and ends. Uh, number sign starts then there and ends there. Uh, so if we look up at the individual bitmap for space, uh, this uh, D width refers to the um, spacing after the, the beginning of the, the font uh, first pixel before the next one. And I believe by default this font uses 14. Uh, so I trimmed this down to 8, which gave me uh, a tighter kern for the next character. Uh, and then the bounding box, I think, defaulted see, something larger than that for the colon. Let's go find the colon. Uh, so here's the colon. Uh, yeah, so like a semicolon, and most of the characters here have a 16, um, uh, value of 16 for the bounding box width, and I tightened that to 13 for the colon and the space, and again, that's what allowed me to hand current them. Uh, so you can see here, it's maybe a lot of trouble to go to, but you get a really nice result. Um, you get exactly the, the spacing you want, even though it's a mono-spaced font. We're, we're cheating and not mono-spacing the colon. Of course, you could do this in code. You could go into multiple individual labels inside of uh, the CircuitPython matrix display um, labels uh, library, uh, use separate labels for, for the different elements and then get the kerning the way you want. But I wanted to keep that part simple, so I did a little bit of extra work just on the font. And I don't plan on making different fonts for this. This is the one I want for this clock. Uh, so it's kind of a one-time effort and then it keeps the rest of the code very clean. Uh, and you can see here, um, this is keeping up very nicely. I, my clocks agree uh, on what the time is. And um, Right now, it's in this 6 a.m., 6 p.m. thing. What I'm going to do is, um, off camera, because I don't want to share all of my passwords and, and AIO keys and things with the world, but off camera, what I'll do real quick is I'm going to edit my secrets file um, to a different time zone that's in the p.m. Uh, so let's see. Right now, it's at Los Angeles, U.S. Uh, so what I'll do is... I'm going to go to the time zones API. I can share this with you real quick. Let's uh, go to my Firefox. 
worldtimeapi.org slash time zones. Uh, so how about we'll go, uh, let's go to Italy. Uh, where are you, Italy? Are you Italia? Are you not here at all? <laughs> where, where did Italy go? All right, let's look at Europe. Uh, oh, it's probably a city. Let's do Rome. There we go. Europe slash Rome. Okay, so that's what I'm going to change my um, secrets file to. Right. So it's restarting now. Uh, right now, it's actually, since I didn't unplug it, it's kind of maintaining the time that was on the clock. So you see, it didn't go back to that red 12 o'clock. This is the time it thinks it is just based on its own internal ticks, um, which might be accurate, might not, so you can't necessarily trust it. Uh, but now it's going to go and, um, again, try to get online. Uh, let's see. Let me switch over to... that moo window again. There we go. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah so, I'm, so I'm having the, the fun of it, not necessarily wanting to get on my Wi-Fi. I'll, I'll unplug power, actually. Sometimes that seems to or hit a restart. Um, but when it does get online, it should now go to the red digits um, because we're using a different time zone. So that's one way that you can, you can test things. Uh, and of course, it, it would be possible to put this into the debug as well, but I like to test it as, as close to um, reality as possible. Um, so I want it to go and check for different time zones. All right, so this should, we'll see. Uh, let's see. Oh, in the chat, uh, Todd is claiming that you can't see my, my window, so I'm safe. All right, maybe, maybe I didn't share all of my uh, passwords with <laughs> the world. This was the idea behind us using the, uh, the secrets document, but it doesn't help if you think you've shown it. Um, all right, so yeah, oh fun, yeah. I think I think I'm I'm now going to run into that uh, cycle of my Wi-Fi access point being a little bit far away. Um, okay, I promise before I do the next one of these projects, I will fix my my router that's in here to to broadcast uh, Wi-Fi internet. I'll try resetting this again. Let me try pulling power. Uh, you can sometimes drive this, like you saw with my battery, you can sometimes drive this off of just your Ethernet, or rather, just your USB. Um, but that's only if you're not displaying that many pixels. So let's, uh, let's give it power. You can see now that I've dropped power, it's going to go to the 12 o'clock. And I'm just going to set that there. I will not look at it for a minute. And uh, in fact, I'll close that serial monitor so I don't curse the thing, and if it shows up, it shows up, and we'll be happy. Uh, so I can put that out of the way, and I think that covers it. So uh, let me know in the, in the chat uh, if you have any questions. I know I haven't checked over on, um, oh, yeah, so 45 RPM says the same. We can't see what you're referring to. <laughs> Maybe I was quick enough to hide it. I thought it was showing. Um, the... Um, let me know if you have any questions uh, about how that works. Um, side real time tells you what hour of rights ascension is crossing your local meridian. It basically tells you the position of the stars. Oh, interesting. Yes, there are a lot of people who know a lot about clocks and time in the Discord, by the way. Uh, this is something I knew. 
going into this. So go check out uh, the Discord chat if you, if you want to discuss time and clocks. Um, okay, I don't think I'm going to convince this one to, to get onto my uh, access point this way, so I'll, uh, I'll give up for now, but I assure you it works. Just have good internet around. Um, and I think that covers it. So let's see, before uh, we call it a day, I will um, make a quick reminder that you can come and see my workshop tour and behind the scenes talk at Maker Faire Miami, virtual online Maker Faire Miami this weekend. Uh, it starts tomorrow through Sunday. My talk is on Saturday, the 15th of August at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so please come, come check it out. And I, and I believe that um, you'll be able to ask questions in advance as well as in the chat. Um, so uh, there are moderators. I know uh, the, the moderating team who are, who are setting up Maker Faire Miami, including the amazing Mario Cruz, are going to be uh, in chats, moderating and guiding these uh, discussions uh, so that we can have it be as interactive as possible. And I think it should be really cool to have it all under one roof, all in one uh, sort of streaming platform. So go to the Maker Faire Miami site and register now, and then you'll be able to get um, uh, all set up in advance so you won't be, be scrambling to do things at the, on the day of the event. So, so go check that out. Um, and I think that will wrap it up for the day. I will, because I don't like to take no for an answer from clocks, I'm going to give this one more, uh, one more try. Uh, I'll plug this in a little further away from some of the uh, meshes and things that stand in the way of uh, my Wi-Fi signal. In fact, let's go to this, uh, this one over here. You can see I'll hold this way out here and see if we can convince Wi-Fi to come on. Um, and I also want to thank uh, everyone in the chat for hanging out, asking questions. I'll be around a little bit after if you've got stuff you want to discuss. I also thank, excuse me, Todd Bot again for the uh, fantastic trinket trigger, uh, proving that CircuitPython is uh, moving into Eurorack in a big way. Uh, we've, we've shown the Winterbloom soul before, so I think more and more um, uh, synth people are getting their head around CircuitPython, which is pretty awesome. And... Uh, Okay, look, it worked. So now it's uh, 10.57 in Italy. So it did, it did get on my Wi-Fi. Uh, I can bring that over. Sorry, you couldn't see that in the serial port because I had to, had to get to a, a nice place uh, where that's visible. But there is, uh, there is your after 6 p.m. red. And you can, of course, go in and, and customize all that stuff really easily. So I think people will have a lot of fun with, uh, with making their own clocks. And uh, that's going to do it for me for today. For Adafruit Industries, I'm John Park, and this has been John Park's Workshop. I will see you next time. Bye-bye.